0: Hi, my name is Paul Crandall and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey. And we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc@isunrise.com. at That's my personal account. And I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're gonna find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Good morning, good to uh, good to see you. Glad you're here with us as we continue in this journey through the writings of Luke, as we unpack the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as well. We're kind of taking these different themes and seeing how they kind of pop up in these two works of this one author. And we're closing out our series called The Call. We're talking about what does it look like when God calls us, wherever we are and God calls us to into a relationship with Him, whether to start that relationship or to deepen that relationship. What does that call Look like. In the first message, we talked about how this call was something we needed to consider because the call of God has eternal consequences. So, that, that sense of eternity is worth our time. We need to con- consider it because it is something of great significance. And then last week, we talked about what's the cost of that call. And that, that cost is, is heavy, it is everything. Jesus asks for everything, but what he offers to us in return, if we respond to him, is so much. More And this week as we close it out, I want to talk about what are two of the primary spaces God calls us from. He always calls us into a healthier place, but what are the, what are the two kind of major, there are many spaces, but what are the two of the spaces that God calls us from? And where I think he calls us from are kind of opposite ends of the self-esteem spectrum, if you will. And maybe you felt this tension even in your own life of, of having too high of a self-esteem. Where, where it kind of shows itself in, in pride or in arrogance or in vanity. You feel like the world just revolves around you. You're very impressive. You deserve things. You deserve obedience. You deserve attention. You deserve a raise. You deserve blessing, right? You get in a sense of a self-sustained you. You're so strong. You're so impressive. Clearly, you demand the attention and allegiance of others. And even in a sense, God... Must bless you, right? Maybe that's that space you find yourself in. Have you ever struggled with arrogance? Have you ever struggled with vanity? Have you ever struggled with pride? Now on the other end, we kind of can bounce to the other side. I think all of us can. We could bounce to the side of like a, a low self-esteem, which can show its, itself in, in sadness, even depression. It can show itself in just a, a sense of shame, Right, That we just wear our wounds all the time. We, we just kind of wear our brokenness and our guilt and we can't seem to get out of it. There's so much negative talk in our head that we're in this deep kind of dark valley of shame. And we kind of bounce back at times. It feels like I'm in the dark valley of shame or I'm in the, on the dangerous summit of pride. And both of those spaces God calls us out of to a healthy place He'll either call us up from our shame or call us down from our pride. In fact, that's the big idea for today. If you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. God's call is up and down. It is up and down. God calls us out of our shame and he calls us down from our pride. Now, Jesus is going to tell a story that we're going to jump into in Luke chapter 15. We've been walking through Luke chapter 14 as we're looking at the call of God. But Jesus does something very interesting in Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, he's going to tell the story. It's in a series of stories. It's the third story that Jesus tells of three. And in this story, there's going to be two characters. These two characters represent shame and pride. There's going to be two sons and I what I want you to do is try to place yourself in the shoes of one of those sons. Either the son that was just gripped by his shame or the son that is imprisoned by his pride. And I, I, and I know that we could probably identify with both of them. But right now, I think there's one. In this moment, there's probably one that you identify with the most. And here's what I really want to invite you to do is ask yourself, where is God calling you from? Is he calling you up from your shame? Or is he calling you down from your pride? But I believe God is calling every one of you. Whether you're online or in the room or you're on the stage, God is calling today. Will you listen to him? Will you listen to him? Place yourself in their shoes and see which one you identify with the most. And I hope you hear the voice of the Father. That's the third character in this story, two sons and a father, and the father is God, and he wants to speak to these two boys, and he wants to speak to you through this story. So let's jump in. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to start. We're going to start with verse 11. Now, just to give you a little bit of context before we roll into the story, this is the third story of three stories that Jesus is telling because people are getting upset. There's a crowd that's starting to gather around Jesus. He's being surrounded by sinners. And Jesus is starting to uh, entertain this company of sinners. And the religious elite, those who feel that they have earned God's love and affection, those who feel like they've done the right things, who have the impressive spiritual resume, they are resenting this group that's coming. They don't feel like they're qualified to be next to Christ. They, don't, they feel like it's okay for Jesus to soil himself spiritually with these sinners and so they get upset and they're bothered by this and Jesus sees this, he senses this and basically he tells three stories with one point. He tells them, you're far from the heart of God because you resent sinners coming to me. You're out of line. I know you think your religious kind of affluentness is allowing you to have this posture of, of condemnation and of shame, but it's, but it's inappropriate. It's wrong. In fact, if you had the heart of God, you'd welcome like I do. So Jesus is telling these three stories really kind of at that group. But what Jesus will do in the third story is he'll speak to both those that are coming, sinners coming, the broken coming, those with guilt and shame coming to him. He'll address them, and he'll also address the religious elite, the prideful. He'll do it in these two sons. But first we're gonna look at the younger son, the younger son who's being called by the father up from his shame. Let's look at verse 11. And he said, this is Jesus, third story, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Now we've got a lot to walk through, but I want to highlight some of the details here. We're really going to focus on the father's conversation with each son. But we've got to get the details to fill the weight of that conversation. So the story starts with this son making a very odd request. And just in the first two verses, we see the, the sin and the offense of this younger son. He goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I would really like my inheritance. Now, that's a very odd request. Why? Because when do you get an inheritance? When do they read the will? When the person's dead. Right? That's when it happens. So this son asking dad for his inheritance is essentially saying, you know what, dad, I'd rather you be dead than alive. Dad, I like your stuff. I don't really care for your love. It'd be better for me to live as though you were dead. That's what he's doing. I mean, this is highly offensive. This is not normal. This is offensive. Dad, I want your stuff. Give me your stuff. Now, the odd turn in this story, and I don't think this probably happened in first century Palestine when a son would say something like that, but in this story, the father grants the request. He says, okay, that's what you want? Fine. Here you go. Look what he does. Look at how the father responds to this egregious offense from his younger son. It says, and he divided his property between them. Now that last word there, between them, it's incredibly important for us to remember that. Kind of later on in the story, when we get to it, we have to realize what well, what happened. What was the father's response? He's going to give the younger son his request, but he also gives it to the older son. The two There's two sons. So in this culture, the first son would get a third of his estate and the oldest son would get two-thirds. So younger gets one-third, older gets two-thirds. So the lion's share of property has been given to who? The older one. Now we're not to him yet, but it's important to recall that fact when we get later to that son. So this younger boy takes all this inheritance, somehow cashes out everything, and decides, let's go to Vegas. Okay, that's what he does. He's going to squander it all, and he's going to run away in rebellion, and run away into sin. Look what happens as this young boy cashes out his inheritance. Verse 13. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey in a far country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. And and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This boy wastes everything, squanders everything. I mean, a third of this man's estate in a matter of days, maybe weeks, is gone, totally gone. He bet on the Raiders to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, there you go. Trust in the wrong place, Right? And he lost it all. And then he finds himself kind of this, uh, a, a victim of natural circumstances, right? There's a famine that happens. There's like an egg shortage. There's a toilet paper shortage. Inflation is high. I'm trying to get you to feel what he's feeling, right? And so he finds himself in that kind of state. Like, oh, this is bad. And now he's working with pigs, And to the Jewish ear, they would think, this is the worst of the worst. You can't find a dirtier job than this because those pigs are unclean. This is filthy. This boy is hit rock bottom. That's his sin. And then Jesus will illustrate for us, kind of open the mind of the younger son, and he'll show us the inner thoughts, the inner dialogue in here. And that's when we'll see the shame that he's in. Because his thoughts will show how he sees himself. Look at the shame of this younger son and just ask yourself have you ever said anything like this? Have you ever thought anything like this? Now, it's going to appear to be pious, it's going to appear to be correct, appear to be holy. But hear me, it is not. At least part of it is not. Because this boy is caught in a shame cycle. That is not the voice of his father. That is not the voice of God. Look at the inner thoughts of this son. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So far, so good. This is great. This is conviction. Conviction is a good thing. He said, I realize the weight of my sin. I realize the vertical dimension. I realize the, the horizontal dimension. He says, I've, I've sinned against heaven. What he's saying there, he's saying, I've sinned against God. I've broken his rules. The designer and the creator of the universe who's ordered all things, not only the planets, but he's ordered my life. I've been out of alignment of what he wants. I'm sinning against heaven. But, but I'm also sinning against you. This is good. This is really good. The next two phrases are not good. I would say they're unbiblical, and I would say that they're anti biblical. They're against the words of God. And we're going to see that. And here's what often happens for us when we experience conviction. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, probably one of the verses I repeat to myself more than any verse. I learned it when I was young, I learned it when I first started following Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, it's the verse that still ministers to my soul very deeply. God makes us a promise in 1 John 1, 1.9. He says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Do you, see, do you see the pattern there and the commitment there to God? Conviction happens. That's the movement and the work of the Holy Spirit. We know that. He convicts us of our sins. So what does he want us to do? What's the end of conviction? What's the next step? The point is to confess our sin. And then what is God committed to do? I'm going to forgive you of that sin and I'm going to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But here's often what we do. We confess our sin. We believe that he forgives us, but we don't want to be cleansed. We hold on to it. And what happens, instead of getting cleansed, we get crippled with shame. We think this changes who we are. It changes our dignity. It changes our value. And we start saying these things in our head, the shame cycle. You're not worthy of it. Here you go again, you worm, you wretch. What have you done? Why should you be loved? Why should you be forgiven? Why should he ever trust you again? Hear me today. That is not the voice of the Father. It's not even close. That shame voice is either the sin in your heart or Satan. It's only one of the two. Because conviction is not meant to cripple you. It's meant to bring you to confession. And then God promises, hey, let me clean you up. Let me forgive you. And let let me take away your sin. That's what the cross was. His death and resurrection was good enough to handle your sin. Right? Your sense of guilt and your sense of shame won't clean you up. Your shame cycle is not better than the redemption of Jesus Christ one at his death and resurrection. That's better than your shame cycle. That's atonement. That's atonement. This is abuse. This is abuse to your sense of self-worth. But look at this shame cycle that starts for the son. Look at what he says about himself. Look at how he devalues himself. And maybe this is where you find yourself today. Look what he says. He continues to say, so I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you, Father. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. We're headed into dangerous ground right now. Treat me as one of your hired servants or slaves. That term right there is the lowest rung of the economic ladder in first century Palestine. This would be like a day laborer. Make me a slave. I only deserve to be a slave. Now notice that, that, that kind of confession. Here's his planned speech. I feel bad. I feel terrible. I hit rock bottom. And his speech is, I'm going to confess my sin, say I'm not worthy to be a son, and then just make me a slave. Sin, son, slave. Remember that. Because what's going to happen is when the father, father interacts with this son, something's going to miss from that speech. Something's going to not come out. And I think that's incredibly significant to the narrative of the story. And it's incredibly significant to you if you feel gripped with shame. Because in the next scene, in the next very thing that happens, the value of this rebellious son returning is screamed at us. So this young boy is like, I'm not even worthy to be a son. I'm not, I, Just making me a slave. This disparaging appraisal of who he is, is blown away by the movement of the father. Look at how the father responds. It says in verse 20, And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He felt compassion. He ran, he embraced him, and he kissed him. What is going on here? Now, I don't think it's coincidence that this father just happened to see his son from far away. I was just strolling on the rooftop and, oh, what's that over there in the distance? How could he see the boy from so far away? He's looking for him. He's waiting for him. Even when that boy was shaming him by asking for his death in a sense. Even when he squandered all that he gave him. All the blessings he showered upon him. When he ran away in rebellion, even when he's in that far off land, even though he's far away, he's still in the heart of the father. And the father is waiting, waiting to see him. And the moment he sees him, he hasn't even said a word of confession yet. But he's so in the heart of the father. What does the father do? The father shames himself. He runs through the town. This doesn't happen. In first century Palestine, a nobleman of this kind of stature who probably has a high elevated uh, position, which means he lives in the upper part of the city, and he has amassed so much wealth that he can give away a third of it and still have his property. I mean, this is a very rich man, a very uh, uh, well-to-do man, and he runs through the city. A nobleman would not do this because to run would be to lift the garment so that his, his ankles would be exposed, which was a shameful thing in that culture. You don't run, and you definitely don't run to that boy. This is not a boy returning from war. This is not a boy who ran away because of nobility. This is a boy who ran away in rebellion. And yet the father runs to him and it says he embraces him and he kisses him. Even those terms do not do justice to the intimacy that's happening here. These terms describe, like if you could think of... Holding your grandchild or a young baby or your niece or nephew, and, and you hold them, they're really young, and their head, right, kind of bobbles a little bit, and then they, their head kind of falls and it hits you on the neck right here. Their little lips just hit you on the neck, right? That's the idea here. There's a falling into the bosom here. This is the embrace of the Father, and He hasn't heard a word yet of the Son, but He knows the Son is turning and coming back. And now remember the speech. What was the speech? Sin son, slave, and look what's said. This is my favorite part of this entire story. Look at what's not said or not shared. After this embrace, verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fat calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. What's missing in that speech? We had the, we had the sin part. We had the son part. Where's the slave part? Why is that not mentioned? Why does Jesus leave that part out? Now we're not told what happened. we're just told that it's missing. And there's only two explanations at work. Either one, the father interrupts it all. I mean, he's so just elated that his son has returned. His son starts to go through his speech and be like, "I've heard enough. You said you sinned. We're done now. It's party time. We're good, right? You confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I've heard what I need to hear because I don't expect confession or perfection. I expect confession, and you've confessed your sin. It's time to party. I like to read it that way. I like to read the father's like, ah, all done. My words now. It's party time. We're gonna put a ring. We're gonna do sandals. We're gonna get you a robe and brisket. It says beef, right? That's what I'm just interpreting. Okay. We're we're throwing a party. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. And I'm going to give you all the symbols of you being a son again. That's what that ring meant. probably a signet ring. Right? The family crest is on that ring. You're a son again. You're a son. Or it could be this. Either the father interrupted or the son realized how inappropriate his speech was. How could he call himself a slave how could he appeal to his father to be a slave when the father has embraced him in such a way? It feels inappropriate. Again, Jesus didn't tell us, did the father interrupt or the son seed it and is inappropriate? I don't think it matters. Here's what matters. The younger son's demeaning appraisal of himself will not be heard. Not from his lips, not to the father's ears. This whole business about being a slave is wrong. And maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you need to hear that today. No more of this shame cycle. No more of this talk that you're not worthy, that you should never be loved, that you should only be a slave. Stop that. God is calling you up from your shame, and he's telling you, you have dignity, you have value. Now, here's what we don't want to do, right? I know maybe inside there's this kind of like grumpy impulse into you, like, whoa, it can't diminish their sin, blah, 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 blah. That's how like that conservative person sounds in my head. Bah, 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 bah. It's probably like residual memory from like a Muppet show or something like that. I don't know why. Right? But now let's, let's talk about that point for a second. Is the father diminishing the sins of the son? He's diminishing the rebellion. No, he's not. The last verse he read, what does he say of the son? Hey, by the way, when you were far away, you were dead and lost. That doesn't seem very polite terms. He doesn't say, well, you didn't know what you are doing, or man, you had a rough childhood, right? He doesn't excuse the boy's behavior. It says, you were dead, man, and you were lost. And this is the call of God. God's call does never diminishes our sin. It just eclipses it with love. That's what's being happened here, right? You remember, right? If, you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you remember that day. The day you started following Jesus, did you have a low view of your sin at that moment? No. I remember remember being crushed by the burden of my guilt. Like, oh man, I've messed this thing up. There's a creator who made me, who sustains the universe, who's ordered everything and ordered my life. And my sin is against him. And I've done a lot of them. And if he calls me to account on just the ones I've done in my mind, I'm undone. There was a heaviness to the weight of my sin. It's like I saw it for the first time, how egregious it was. But then it was eclipsed by his affection and his love for me. Stop, Paul. Stop this slave talk. You've come to me. And you are my son and my daughter. Get in the house and let's party. Let's party. Maybe that's what God's doing right now, right? He's calling to you in your shame, and he's telling you, stop this slave talk. Stop it. Your son or a daughter, you've confessed, so I'll forgive you, and I'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Oh, I hope you hear the Father's voice today. Now, maybe where God needs to call you is not up from shame, but down from pride. That's just the other boy. Let's look at him, the older boy, verse twenty-five. Now, this older son was in the field, and as he came, he drew near to the house, and he heard this music and dancing, and he saw the smoke from the brisket coming. Right, I'm just adding in things here for, you know, theater, and and he called one of the servants, and he asked him, "What do these things? What do these things mean or meant?" And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. Now, let's stop right here. This is the sin of the older brother right here. Now, to us, this may not sound like that big of a deal. You're like, he didn't go to a party. Is that even a misdemeanor? Right? Is that even a crime? Should we cuff him? Like, what's going on here? Now, in, in first century Palestine, in a culture of shame and honor, this is a huge offense if you are intentionally not coming to your family's party, then everybody in the banquet hall will know there's somebody missing at the head of the table. Where is he? Why is he not here? He is shaming his father. Just in a different way than the younger son did, but he's still doing it. Right? That younger boy, he shamed his father in his rebellion. This older boy is shaming his father in his self-righteous pride not going in can't make me that's what he's doing and look at the pride of this boy look at what he says his father comes out it's remarkable that he's talking to his father in this scene but look at what he says and just the parade of pride he doesn't understand who his father is and he doesn't understand who he is he is so confused. Look at what he says. He was angry. I'm in verse 28. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. And we'll get back to why that part is important. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. Okay, stop there. Hold on a second. You know what language that is? That's slave language. It's so interesting. He uses very similar language. The confessing son wishes to be that. And the older boy resents that. Isn't that interesting? I've served you as a slave. No, no, stop. No, you haven't. You're my son. This is our vineyard. This is our land. This is our estate. This is our property. You're helping your father. You don't serve me. I'm not your master. You see, the boy does not understand his relationship to the father. Jesus being very poignant in this story to the religious elite, the self-righteous who are listening in. This is who they are. They're the older boy imprisoned to his pride. Look at this. Look at his view of himself. I've never disobeyed you. Really? Never? Never once. Never. I mean, if you're a parent, can I get an amen? This guy's so far off. I've never done that. You always do this. I'll tell you what I always do, right? Never disobeyed. Wow. Wow. Never disobeyed your command, and yet you have never given a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Now, now remember in verse 12, I told us, like, keep in mind what he did when the request came from the younger boy. He divided the inheritance. The younger boy gets one-third. The older boy gets two-thirds of the estate. He has two-thirds of his father's property, which is more than a goat. Right, this boy has no idea the abundance of blessing that he has with his father. What are you talking to me? You have no goat, dude. This is all that's left is yours. The boy took all that other stuff. Everything else is yours. How have you missed my benevolence, my charity, and my love? You're not my slave. You're my son. Totally misunderstands his familial connection. It gets worse. Look at verse 30. But when, his son, but when this son of yours, notice how he can't connect himself with his younger brother. He says, this son of yours, not my brother. This is like when you tell your kids, hey, your dog is hungry. Your dog made a mess. I thought that was the family dog. No, when it makes a mess or it's hungry, it's your dog. <laughs> That's what he's saying here. But this, this son of yours, this son of yours, what has he done? Devoured your property with prostitutes. How does he know that? He's been in the field. The sun is a far off country. Like, was he following on Instagram or Twitter? Like, how did he know? I think he's just making stuff up. But this is what righteous, self-righteous pride looks like. When we are so inflated with our view of ourself, we belittle everybody else. The higher we get, the lower everybody else seems. We know this, right? This is how pride works. Well, I cannot believe you would do that. Put your turn signal on. You're 50 yards away from the, come on. Right? When we are so prideful, so arrogant, so conceited, everybody is seen with cynicism and skepticism. We're suspicious of every behavior that they do. And this older boy is just infected with self-righteous pride. But look at how the father comes to him too. Because this boy is in rebellion. He didn't run away to a different city, but he didn't run out of the party. And he's still out of the home. He's still a rebel. He's still a prodigal. He's away from the heart of the father. And look at how the father still speaks to him in his pride. Verse 31. And he said to him, son. It's an affectionate term here. It's the same father who embraced and kissed and hugged. Same father. He still runs. He sees his boy from far away that he's not in the home and he goes out to the field to meet him. If you are in a place of pride, God is coming to meet you too. Because he wants you in a healthy place. Either up from your shame or down from your pride. Look at the father's words. Son, you are always with me. You don't understand this. How have you missed this? You're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. I, I gave you everything. I divided it up. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive, lost, and is found. And Jesus leaves the story there. That's how it ends. Kind of kind of on a, a cliffhanger there a little bit. We know how the younger son responded to the voice of the father. He came into the party. He celebrated, received all the gifts that the father had from the ring, the sandals, the clothes, all of it. This older boy, we don't know if he went back into the party. And I think Jesus leaves it kind of on a hanging ending there because he's pointing at the religious leaders. In a sense, he's saying, what are you going to do? Are you going to come in and party or are you going to stay outside? Are you going to stay outside in your self-righteous pride? Now, how did this boy's pride lead to this type of behavior? Look at how he totally misunderstands the love of God. He starts this whole speech of how the younger son doesn't deserve it. Oh, he went away on reckless living, man. He was sleeping around with prostitutes. Hashtag YOLO Vegas. Look, see, it's right there. Here's the feed of what your son did. Right? and So he starts to lift off, list off all these reasons why he doesn't earn it. And then he talks about how he earned it. I did all this stuff. I never disobey you. I'm always in the field. I'm always working. See, here's the son's problem. The father goes in and says, you already had it all. Why are you working for what you already have? Here's the self-righteous nature of the older son. And this is what creeps into us is when we think we earn the love of God, that's when we get in trouble. Think about it like this. If you earned your paycheck, you worked hard, you're receiving your paycheck, and then they gave it away to somebody else, how would you feel? Now, you're in church, don't be like, oh, I'd be fine with it. No, you wouldn't, okay? All right, I know we're in church, right? I, from this stage, there's like a pastoral lens. I can see all of your sin, okay? I can see it all, so just just admit it, right? Over here, it's getting really dark, and it's not just the lights. No, I'm just kidding. Right, but just just think, if you earned something, and then it was given to somebody else, you would resent that. What the? What? That's mine. Now, if you see somebody receive a gift, there's a different posture. You don't feel slighted at all. Oh, that's so great. I'm glad you received that, that gift. That's so great. When we think we earn the love of God, we'll resent those who get it freely. But when we see the love of God as a gift to be received and not earned then we'll let it be extended to everybody. And this is what's happening to the self righteous son. And this is what's happening to those religious elite that are shaming those that are coming near Jesus. They don't want them near, that are resenting those who come. They're resenting sinners being restored. Why? Because they feel like they haven't earned it. And Jesus is saying this, and these are hard words. If you find yourself in a place of pride, hear me. You're not impressive, but you're loved. You're not impressive. You cannot, you have not, and you will not earn the love of God. You're not that impressive. I know you're like, Paul, you don't know. I, I, I've achieved, and, and I, I have conversational charm, and I have a superior work ethic, and my morality is better than the best. God is not impressed. God is not impressed. Hide your brokenness all you want. He sees it. You may hide it from your spouse. You may hide it from your kids and your coworkers. But God knows it and he wants you to bring it to him because your resume is not impressive to him. You can't earn it. He just gives it to you beforehand. He sees you from far away. And you're in his heart when you're far away. He's always loved you. He will continue to love you. His love for you doesn't go up or down. It remains the same. You're in his heart. And when you confess and he cleans, yes, will you work for him? Yes, will you obey him? Yes, but not to earn anything. You'll be working out of love and not for love. Do you see the slight danger there? And maybe you realize this in your own heart. If you at any time have an impulse and a cringe when somebody broken comes in, you got pride in you. you got pride in you, and you have to hear these words. And they're they're hurtful words, I understand that, but they're healing words. You're not impressive, but friend, you're loved. You're loved, so stop trying to earn what you've already got. You're loved. Again, I don't know where you are, but I believe God is calling you. I believe the Father is calling you. I think somewhere you're one of these sons he's either calling you up from your shame or he's calling you down from your pride. Now maybe you're, you're, a, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You've committed your life over to him. Right? But you have this shame cycle. You have this sense that you can't expunge your past record in your mind. And you say things, you're like yourself, you know, I can never be qualified to volunteer at this church. I can never be a part of the ministry of this church. I can never be a part of serving in different places. You need to hear me, man. You need to hear me. That voice of shame is not the voice of your father. He's telling you, come in. I've cleansed you. I've forgiven your sin. Let's go party. Do you know the person who wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament, you know he was a murderer before he started following Jesus? That sounds like shame. Right? That sounds like shame. But he got over that, and God used him in a powerful way. And God wants to use you. Only Satan will use your shame to put you on the shelf. Don't listen to that voice confess he'll forgive and he'll cleanse now maybe you're a follower of jesus christ and you need to be called down from your pride maybe you realize in this story if you were in this story you wouldn't be on the rooftop with the father looking and waiting for the son to come back you definitely wouldn't run through the town shame yourself to embrace this son you'd be in the field plowing away obedient demanding blessing and resenting compassion is that where you are today? Do you demand the blessings of God? Do you resent his compassion toward others? God's calling you away from that pride. Friend, you're not impressive, but you are loved. Would you hear him? Get into a healthier place. Now, maybe you're not yet following Jesus. You can call yourself a, a follower of Christ. You're, you're just curious about Jesus. You're exploring it. You need to hear me too. Maybe you're just stuck in your shame. You're thinking, I can never be loved. I shouldn't be at a church. Why am I here? I just came for a friend. But here I am. And you've said to yourself over and over again, I'm not worthy. You don't know the sins that I've done. You don't know the shame that I've had. Man, I've heard that. I've heard that phrase. How could God ever forgive me of this? God can never forgive me of this. God can never forgive me of this. Don't make promises that God never intends to keep. He said, confess your sin. I am faithful and just to forgive your sin. Cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You come to him. Just come to him. And he'll forgive you. And he'll embrace you. Maybe he needs to call you down from your pride. Maybe you think to yourself, I've got it all worked out. I don't really need God. You're hiding, friend. You're hiding your brokenness behind your resume. And hiding behind your resume will never fix your brokenness. You got to open up. Hear the voice, the healthy voice that says, come down from your pride and let me heal you. Let me restore you. Don't let your resume create this cocoon around you where God can never speak into your heart and restore you. Don't let your pride kill you. Don't be out in the field. Come in the house and hear the voice of the Father. I think God is speaking to to you today, to all of us, to me, either calling us up or calling us down. Here's the question. Will you listen? Will you listen? Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. (sighs) Father, we're stubborn sometimes. I'm stubborn sometimes. I hear your words But I'm stubborn sometimes. For some reason, I like to stay in my shame. I like to wear it. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know if there's pride even in that. I don't know if I grip it because it it gives me the attention I want. I don't know. I don't don't know if I just just don't have a high view of myself. I don't see that I'm an image bearer of God. What more worth can be on me than the image of God being in me? How do I miss it? I miss the worth. I miss it. Father, call us out of our shame. Call us up from our shame. Don't leave us in the dark valley of our shame. And you're not wanting to for anybody in this room and online. Father, would you speak to them and pull them up from that? Pull them up from that. Let them, let them see the dignity you've placed on them, the worth and the value that you have for them. And Father, maybe, maybe you need to call us down from our pride. Maybe we need to hear those very stinging words. We're not impressive, but we are loved. I'd I'd rather be loved than impressive because there's something sure and true in your commitment to me because it's all about how I impress you. I'll fail you and then I'll lose it. But I can't lose your love because you set it upon me and I don't work for it. Father, however you're gonna speak, speak. And I pray our hearts to be open. To hear what you'd have to say to us. To Christ's name, I pray. Amen.